Good morning, everybody. I'm, there's nothing like a little ACDC to complete your Sunday morning. So I'm glad you came to church. You can get your Bibles out, and we're going to uh, look to the book of Romans. That's the study we're in. Uh, for uh, a while, we were in the first half of the book, and we called that Life in the Balance. And the uh, second half of the book is Life in the Spirit. We're talking about how to live like Jesus did with His Spirit living within us. If you need message notes, the ushers have them for you. Take advantage of that. You can just raise your hand, and they will get those to you. We're going to study a passage today that is uh, unique uh, in, uh, I think, in the book of Romans. Uh, as, as you may remember, as, as we've been going through this, this letter, it was written to this fledgling little group, this ragtag group of Jews and Gentiles that had started to follow Jesus. People who understood who God was, the Jewish people, and then were trying to figure out who, who is this Jesus who's been risen from the dead and the power that he has, and they were following him. And then this new thing was happening with Gentiles, where, which is essentially a, a word for everybody else, uh, all, all other nationalities, coming to God in a way that was unknown before this. And so Paul is coaching this little group of people in this cosmopolitan city of Rome. And it wouldn't have been a huge group of people. It would have been uh, kind of so somewhere in, in, in this vicinity, the people in this room, uh, about this number, and, and just a, a group of people that Paul's writing to and telling them all kinds of things about how the work of God has come to this moment, this place, and that they are part of something significant in God's plan and purpose in history. And so he's been speaking about God's sovereignty, and he's been speaking about how we respond to his work. And so it is appropriate then, in talking about the life of the Spirit, to come to a, a place where he wanted to coach the especially the Jewish believers, how to deal with living with a hostile government. In this season, the context of this writing, the Jewish people were uh, sort of seen and known as, as these outsiders and, and outcasts and rejects and, and kind of seen as the scum of the earth. And in, at the time of this writing, Paul feels there's a need, a person who is led by the Spirit, the person who is living under God's uh, sovereignty and, and working His will out in their lives, then they need to be coached here. And so he stops for about seven or eight verses, and he begins to coach them on how to deal with the governing authorities that are around them. So let's pray and let's dive in, all right? Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your word that it brings us life. Let life flow now. Not just my words, but your words coming into our lives and changing us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And these authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? 
Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, be very afraid, for he does not bear the, the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, as I was reading some of that, some of you, I could see the wheels turning in your mind and grinding to a halt on this message. <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about just leaning in towards me. Could you, everybody just lean in a little bit. Okay, I just want to see how many were listening. And, and, and I, I just, instead of, instead of kind of sitting back, because I'm going to talk about authority. And in the context of our Western Christianity and American Christianity, authority is a little bit, it's a very challenging subject because we highlight individualism so much and the rights of the individual, which I think is a good thing. That's, there's a freedom there. There's, a, there's a, a, an idea in freedom that says these individuals are valuable, right? And so that's good. But the, the flip side of it is in a consumer-based convenience context where we do not really have a high view of authority, this is very challenging. I want you to think about this. This recent statistics say 18%, 18% of people uh, actually uh, have a, a view that those in authority say they can, they can trust the government to do the right thing. 18%. 18% say, we trust the government in Washington to do the right thing. Okay, that's a, that's a historic low. And uh, it's really hard to lead when nobody trusts you, which is what we're in. We're experiencing that. But if you take some of the other institutions that we have in our culture, let's say the police department. Okay, and you, you see uh, some of the, the real struggle we've had in our national dialogue about how to deal with police uh, brutality, with, with enforcement, with enforcing of the laws, with the difficulty that, th that, that comes along with that. Uh, the recent statistics, 64% of Americans have a favorable view of police officers. If you just go into the Hispanic community or the Latino community, that goes to 55% have a favorable view. If you go to the African-American community, it's back down to 18%. These are real issues. These are great challenges in our time. And I fear that um, even, in the, even in the culture that, that, we, that we have in our entertainment, um, that, that we've seen, that, we're, that we, we see this terrible thing that's happened with powerful men in, in Hollywood who have used and abused women, has used their power to control people. We've seen this spill out into our, into our newspapers and into... Newspapers, what am I, 1972? No, in, into our news feeds. And, and, we, and we see this, and we, the immediate thing, when I start to talk to you about authority, is you begin to think about the violations. 
it's hard to think about anything other than the violations. It's hard to think about any, anything other than, than, than the exceptions to how it was originally designed or declared in the Scripture. I, th- I think we have to capture the, the original design of authority. We have to understand the people who hold it and what they're responsible for. And we have to understand how we, as God's people, are supposed to respond to people in authority over us. And that's what this talk is about. And it's not my favorite. It might not be your favorite. But it is the scripture, and here we are stumbling upon it. And that's why it's good to go through books of the Bible. That's why it's good to go through passages where you're going you're gonna to kind of peel back the layers and wrestle with it. And so Romans 13, how do we relate to our government? How do, and I think there's a bigger picture here then. As we read this, I think we're, we have to ask a greater question. How do we respond to all authorities? Because what Jesus seems to indicate and what Paul seems to indicate is that the way we respond to authority figures in our lives is an indication of our commitment to Jesus. There's a measurable piece here. There's some kind of way in which we respond that indicates we're Jesus followers. We don't respond like everybody else. And so one of the most important lessons we need to learn is what it means to live under authority. Look at Psalm 91. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Or you can uh, scroll down to Psalm and, and, and go to chapter 91. This is a familiar passage to some of you. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. I want you to see that David, the psalmist, is identifying what it means to live under God's authority. What happens when you live under his covering, under the shadow of your wings? The hiding place that is there that David is talking about, there's some benefits. If you read the whole chapter, you will find that David is outlining that what it means to be under God's authority is to find protection. That there's protection under God's covering. There's freedom under God's covering. And there are answered prayers. Answered prayers. You guys put those three fill-in-the-blanks up there. Can you do that? There it is. Thank you. Did you fall asleep back there, Jonathan? You okay? You all right? Okay, good. Feeling good? All right, good. Protection, freedom, and answer to your prayers. Now, this is crazy to think that there's something that relates for the psalmist to these blessings. Everybody say blessings. Who is under the shadow of the Almighty? The one who is under God's covering. And the one who is under God's authority is where there's a real disconnect. We're like, oh, no, I just, I just want the protection. I don't need the authority. Thank you. I just like the benefits. I don't really want the, 
you know, anybody to boss me around. I think for some of us, we don't really understand what it means to be under God's authority. But there is real protection. There is real blessing. There is real freedom. There are answered prayers. And I think I've seen it over and over again as a pastor. I see people who don't understand this. And they, so they leave their jobs. They leave their cities. They leave their churches. They leave over some disagreement. They leave over some kind of thing with, uh, with their authority figures. Or they don't even talk to them about what's going on in their lives. And for so many that have disagreements, there's something that we've probably overused as a Christian community, and it's called the God card. <laughs> you may have never heard of the God card. It is not a charge card. It is, which would be awesome, but it is more like, it's a, it's a, a reference to poker. There was guys at the men's, men's camp out. We were, it was raining so bad. Oh, my gosh. We all, I mean, people slept in their cars. It was unbelievable the first night. It was so terrible. It rained the whole next day. There was nothing, nothing to do at camping. It was awful. And, and, so, and so we sat around and played games, and it was so fun. And they had some serious games of poker. I can tell you that a bunch of OC men are not good at poker. And so... There's a, there's, there's, God card means, oh, here, God told me this, so now that trumps everything. I don't need to hear from anybody else. I think we have to make decisions in the blessing of authority that God has placed in our lives. And for so many of us, we, we ended up, we've ended up taking ourselves out from under anybody's authority. And so we, when we do that, we come from outside, out from under the protection, and I think we end up running into trouble from time to time. Look at this man who came to Jesus looking for Jesus' power and authority in his, in his situation. In Matthew 8, verse 5 through 13, it's a story, and uh, they'll put it on the screen. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it, and when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places with, in the, at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, this took a dark turn, didn't it? <laughs> Jesus is talking about the rejection of the Messiah by God's people. And, and, and here's a centurion. Here's a person who's sort of outside the family, if you will. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go and it will be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, I haven't, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of God's people. I haven't seen this kind of faith resonating in God's people, let alone a guy who, who doesn't belong to that family of faith. And so there's two things that Jesus outlines here. One is faith, 
and one is answered prayers. Faith and answered prayers. And I want to explain this to you because what you see in the centurion is a guy who understood how to be under authority. He clarifies it to Jesus. Here's how it works. And then he understood what it meant to be in authority. That, that, that he has an authority over people who answer to him. And he understood this authority. And I want you to think about this because Jesus essentially equates in this story under, the understanding of submission to authority as faith. Now, why is that significant? Because it takes faith to put yourself under someone else's authority. It takes faith in God, your first authority, to be willing to put yourself under someone else's authority. So there's a faith that is required for answered prayers. There's something here. I want to live my life under authority in this way so that, so that as God begins to work in my life, I can look to him and I can believe in this idea that he is in charge and that he will act and that he will be involved and he will heal. Some of you are like, well, yeah. <laughs> if Jesus comes to me, I'll put, my, I'll put him, you know, in authority in my life. Oh, really? See, the problem, the struggle for all of us is that we want to put ourselves under God's authority, but we don't want to put ourselves under any people's authority. And sadly, the truth is, in order to demonstrate you're under God's authority, very often you have to put yourself under some human's authority. For several reasons, which we're going to cover here. So I want you to chew on that for a second. Some of you are not convinced. You're looking at me like, no, really? Well, no, like, you like think about it. Like, think, think through it. Like, the people that say, I don't answer to any man. I only answer to God's authority. That's it. You don't answer to any man? So it's just you and Jesus. There's nobody else. I promise you there are problems with that dude. Go back to Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the government authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Whoa, here's three things. Ready? Number one, here's what Paul says. Three truths about authority. God is the source of all authorities in the universe. No, Thanos is not the authority over the universe. Okay? There's a, there's, a, there's a thing here that in, 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 I, it's, I think it's phrased this way because the scriptures teach over and over again that Jesus himself is over every principality and power ev against the rulers of the dark world of the entire universe, right? There's, a, there's an authority that Jesus carries. And, but here's the thing. What, what this is saying here in this chapter is God is the source of all those authorities. And what you have to understand is that this doesn't equal, just equate to a person, that authorities represent a position, regardless, regardless of who is president or who your governor is or who your congressperson is. I may not agree with that person's political persuasion, but what Paul is talking about here is we are people called by God to respect and honor a position of authority, regardless of personality. For those of you in the military, you really get this. 
those of us who weren't in the military, we, we don't quite understand it as well. You, you may detest the person who outranked you, but you still salute them. Why do you do that? You're saluting the person. You're, you're saluting the position of authority that they carry over you. And Paul is saying that's what this is. You're respecting what God has done. Number two, all authorities are delegated by him and represent his authority. Oh, how some of you are wishing this verse was not in the Bible. All authorities are delegated by him and represent his authority in some way. That's what they're designed for. Throughout the Bible, over and over again, you'll see God holding those in authority. Now, check this out. God holds those in authority to a higher standard. Why does he do that? Why does he hold them to a higher standard? Because they're supposed to be representing him. Now, if they're not representing him, then there's trouble. Let's look at some, some verses. Psalm 72. See, I've already, I killed it. It's, it's, they're, they're on their way out. <laughs> it's okay. Come back later. It's okay. I'll still be here. Psalm 72. <laughs> that was like three at a time. That was awesome. Psalm 72, 1 through 2 says, Endow the king with your justice. Notice I just made sure no one else would get up. Okay, so endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Because authorities are delegated by God and represent his authority, they're supposed to care for the poor and the oppressed. Because they represent God, they're supposed to care for the disadvantaged. They're supposed to seek the needs, to care for the needs of everybody, not just the privileged few. See, look how serious God is about this in Isaiah 10, 1 through 3. He says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of the rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? When or, where will you leave your riches? Isaiah says. See, if you're in a position of authority, which some of you are, over your business, over a neighborhood um, housing uh, authority. Some of you are, ha have authority here in the church. So what, whoever has a position of authority, and if you don't take care of the needs of the people who you are over, God has a pretty significant opinion about that. The needs and the rights and the privileges of those you lead because you and I will give an account of that someday. Every authority figure will give an account of that someday. And so you have to have faith to believe that that's really true. Number three, God established delegated authority to reveal himself. This is the original design, is to reveal himself, which means every time you encounter authority, you have the opportunity to meet God. Sometimes it's not the way you want to meet him. You know, every, every teenager who went too fast after drinking with his buddies and met an authority figure on the road, that teenager has an opportunity to meet God right there. Right? There's a moment here where we meet God when we understand that authority is designed to reveal himself. Romans 13.1, look at it again. All right? I'm going back to it. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Here are four key words. I want you to circle, circle everyone. Everyone. No one is exempt. 
So you have to implant this in your minds. I'm not exempt. Number two, key word, must. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Number three word, submit. Circle it. Submit. Ooh, that word. So hard. So hard to say. Submit. The Greek word for submit is a word I can't pronounce, but it's a it's a Greek military term meaning to arrange troop division in a military fashion under the command of a leader. That's what submit means. In non-military usage, it's, it meant this, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? And so to submit means, here it is, to submit means to voluntarily place ourselves under submission to authorities with the full intent of obeying them. Easy to talk about and to theoretically agree to, but it will be tested because submission does not begin until there's a disagreement. It's easy to submit to people you agree about everything with. It's harder. I am amazed at my five children's ability, their resilience to continue to resist me. When they want something, man, they are just on it. They just want it. They just are relentless in the way that they're, dad, dad, can you, can we do this? Can we, no, I said no, no, I, no, dad, how about if we, do? and then they come up with their own options. Oh, how about if we do this? Well, we could do this. How? No. I said no. And finally, it comes out in a really strong, don't bring it up again. The fourth word is governing authorities. The fourth little phrase there, circle it. The New Testament speaks about four governing authorities in our lives. This is the, the scriptures. It, it speaks to it. It says in, in, uh, it, it, all through the, the New Testament, there's a, over and over again, Paul is outlining these four realms. Here they are. Ready? I'll just name them for you. Civil, which is the local, state, and national authorities. It's um, divisions of delegated authority in the church. So it's the civil, it's church, and then it's family, and then it's social. All throughout the New Testament, church, civil, church, family, and social. Civil, church, family, and social. Now listen, the Bible doesn't say everybody should be a Republican, everybody should be a Democrat. The Bible doesn't say everybody should be a Libertarian. As, as, as good as you might think those things are, what God is saying is governing authorities require from God's people a certain respect. And you might, you might think, well, Paul, it's a different time. You know, it's a different context. Paul didn't realize what the kind of government we would be under. No, actually, he was under something much worse. In his time, the Caesars were incredibly vile and brutal he lived under a dictatorship. He did not have a right to vote. Throughout history, God's people have lived under these kinds of conditions, these kinds of governments. Listen, God's people can thrive in any form of government. <laughs> and sometimes around the world, what you see is in tyrannical governments, they thrive almost even better because they have to put to rest this issue. Somehow we don't put it to rest in our free society where we don't willingly submit 
to authority figures. But if you think about Romans 13.1, it's really pr- profound what it says. It says everyone, that means you and me, must, this is a command, submit, voluntarily place ourselves under submission to with the full intent of obeying himself to the governing authority, civil, church, family, and social, for there is no authority except that which God has established. These four authority areas are really significant for us. So here, I have a question for you this morning. Whose whose authority are you under? Who are your authorities in your life? Do you have authorities? The scriptures actually teach. I put a little piece of paper on your on your seats there, and it and it has a, a little scripture that says we're supposed to pray for all those who are in authority over us. No matter who they are, no matter what political persuasion they tend to be. And I want you to take that home, and I want, you to th- I want you to think about this question. Whose authority are you under? What authority figures are you under? And how should you treat them? How should you respond to them? Can you do it in a way that is godly and full of peace? What I'm saying to you is you have to demonstrate your authority or your submission to live under God's authority with an ability to surrender to someone. Now, I'm going to give you seven levels here, and we're going to do it in less than 10 minutes. Are you ready? Here we go. First level of authority. Here's how every decision you make, every belief, goes through these seven levels of authority, whether you believe it or not. And these all kind of come out of the scriptures and and out of just our human common existence and, and, and expression. Here's the first level, sovereign authority. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what this means? This means Jesus is the only one who holds this authority. There is no other. He's never wrong. He's never challenged. He's always right. No pope, no pastor, no president can take that spot. No apostle, nobody can fill this position. All men are fallible, we all make mistakes, but God does not. He is sovereign. He's authority. Second level is authority of truth. Psalm 138.2 says, For you have been exalted above all things. Sorry, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Think about that. Exalted above all things, your name and your word. Acts 17, 11 says, For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The authority of truth is captured in the scriptures. There is a, there is a scriptural basis upon which we make decisions and we, we believe things. And there's, so, so there's an authority of truth. Every believer is responsible to search the scriptures to see what is said is true. You should not take anything I'm saying for truth. You should, you should yourself discover it and seek for it. Now, here's what happens. People who don't have these two things in their lives, they don't have a sovereign authority and they don't have any authority of truth, they'll believe almost anything. They'll do almost anything. Whatever feels best to them is what they'll do. Whatever seems, you know, that, like whatever they can conceive in their own mind, whatever they think, that's what it is. That's what they'll do. And I think that's what we're all tempted to do. To believe that what we think is really of highest value and highest importance. See, it takes real 
it takes real humility to decide to live under someone else's authority. Level three, authority of conscience. The authority of conscience. Now, this is a little bit trickier. And so I'm going to read a little passage, and I want you to try to lean in here, because I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, because I just think it's, it's a fun way to hear what the Apostle Paul was writing. It's actually in next, the next lesson that we do here in Romans 14, but here it is. He says in the, in the Message Bible, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that, that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who's been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. Any vegetarians in the room? Any meat eaters? See? See the problem? Vegetarians like, yeah. <laughs> Paul's talking about arguing over things that don't really matter that much. Unless you want to live a long time and then you eat more vegetables. But verse 3 says, but since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made over manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like all the other. There are good reasons both ways. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important is in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we're answerable to all the way from life to death and everything in between, not, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Isn't that cool? The petty tyrannies of each other. I won't read the rest of it. I encourage you to read it in the Message Bible, chapter 14. But here's the point. We have our convictions that we hold, and here's what Paul is saying. What we eat, what we drink, what, what movies we watch, what music we listen to, the authority of conscience only has authority when the Bible has nothing to say about it or when the Bible is unclear about a certain issue. Because the authority of conscience is different for each person. So if it's unclear in the scriptures, there's an authority of conscience and we need to treat one another with that kind of respect. There's a lot of conflict between believers on this kind of stuff. And so in churches and pastors, this is where pastors make great mistakes by enforcing things that are not clear in the scriptures. And I, I, my, my opinion is we can unintentionally bind people to our own consciences or our own prejudices. And I think, honestly, that's an abuse of authority. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try never to do that as your pastor. Number four, fourth level is delegated authority. Here it is. 
Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Keep watch over you. They keep watch over you as men who must give you an account. Now, when we talk about delegated authority, it's given to people based on, check this out, responsibility. Not necessarily based on talent or intelligence. <laughs> what a bummer. You might have to submit yourself to people that you think you're smarter than. And you might be smarter than them. However, you'll have to humble yourself. Because it's God who instituted the authority to rebel against delegated authority to rebel against God. And, and this goes all the way through the list. Parents, right? Government, all the way down to babysitter, right? This is where it can get really challenging and really confusing because what happens when delegated authority tells you to do something that is against what God has said or the, what the scriptures say? What do you do then? Well, Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we have to understand we're citizens of two worlds. We're a citizen of heaven and we're a citizen of the United States of America. How do we make sure that these are in priority? I have a double allegiance. How do we keep these in balance? How do we keep them in the right order? Luke chapter 20, the Pharisees are tempting Jesus with this same question. You, you might have heard this little passage before. Luke 20, verse 22 says, Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's what the Pharisees are asking Jesus. He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius. And somebody took it and he said, Whose portrait and inscription are on it? He, he said, Caesar's. And they replied, He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now notice what he did right here. You know what he did? He identifies this distinction between Caesar and God. Because the, the Caesars of that day, many of them proclaimed themselves as God or sons of God. That's why, that's why Paul uses all this language of Savior and Lord and the Son of God. He, he's, he's mimicking what Caesars would say and say he, he, he was writing his letters to these groups of people and saying, look, this is not the real Lord. These are not the real saviors. Jesus himself is the Savior the Lord. Okay, so what happens when Jesus is asked this question is, he makes a distinction. He says, Caesar is not God. Are you guys still with me? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What belongs to Caesar? Taxes. Oh, joy. The law gives you all kinds of liberty to work your way through your taxes and to pay less, but you must pay them. What belongs to God? Your life, your loyalty, your worship, your allegiance, everything. And so for these original disciples, this was a pivotal question because most disciples, check this out, would end up giving their life for this reason. Because they resisted the authority of a Caesar and would not, they refused to acknowledge Caesar as God. They chose, they chose Jesus himself as God. And they were martyred. We submit to delegated authority unless their directives conflict with God's word. Now that's a hard one, people. If it's if, it, teenagers, if you want to scour God's word <laughs> to try to make a case for not obeying your parents, good luck on you. It's challenging. Here's the thing: you and I have to be willing to surrender to authority 
unless it contradicts God's word. The fifth level, here it is, Genesis 20, is authority of customs. Genesis 29 through 20, uh, 26, it's a story of Jacob, and he says, it is our, it's the, the verse is, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Jacob had worked for seven years for the wrong girl, and he got the older one. That's the custom. See, each culture has customs and the ways of doing things that are different from other cultures. This is significant for missionaries. This is significant for you and me to understand this because you can really end up doing something that works against the gospel and the kingdom. I've worked with um, deep in the villages of Mexico and way in the mountains, way beyond any civilization with Mountain Gateway. And I've been there in those mountain villages and you go up to a little kind of shack just cobbled together with stuff and you sit in there and they serve you food. Oh, it's the worst food ever. (laughs) It is nasty. You don't know what it is. You don't know what kind of animal it is. And it is drenched in stuff that you don't want to eat. And I've sat there, and I've had to eat the whole bowl. You know why? Because it's a custom. They're giving you their best, and you're sitting down at their table, and you take it. If you refuse it, the custom is you refuse them. The problem is if you don't eat what's set before you, then you don't get to share the gospel. Jesus, there's a thing in the way. The authority of customs is real. It is a real thing in missionary work. It is a real thing in the world. It's a real thing in the scripture. Sixth level is stipulative authority. Genesis 29, the same story. Jacob, he says, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter. He clarifies it just to make sure he gets the right one. Rachel, this is stipulative authority. You end up uh, signing something or you have an agreement, there's an, there's a, an honor code that you say, I'm going to abide by this honor code. We have a lease on this building. We get to be here because we signed a contract. If we mistreat this building, if we break our contract, we have problems because we represent God. And we don't want anything to get in the way of people discovering the truth of our message. This, I, I face this one. Uh, a few years ago when we, had, we were meeting at Westlake and we had both and we couldn't afford both and I had a five-year contract on this place and I, I, we tried to figure out how we could sublease and how we could do all these things and I determined that God was most pleased if we would just stick by our word and we would do the thing that we committed to and he would bless us. And I believe he has. Stipulative authority, number seven. Level is functional authority and this is our last one. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it was, says he, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare f- people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until, until we all reach the unity in faith and then the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Now listen, where delegated authority comes out of your responsibility, in other words, you have responsibility over someone, functional authority comes out of out of your ability, the training, the talents, the gifts. You can be a, a, a pastor, a apostle, prophet, evangelist, or you can be a doctor or a computer, uh, a computer systems manager, and you've developed a certain expertise, and you have functional authority over people, and they look to you for this authority. And I, I think this is so important for you to understand that it is my belief that no one can 
take authority over you um, without you giving it to them. There is a, there is a moment where you're going to face this with the government or you're going to face this with if you're going to refuse to pay taxes. They will put you in jail, all right? So in this way, they can enforce it, but they still didn't get their taxes. See how that works? You can get punishment, but there is always, when you decide you're going to respond to somebody's authority, it's your decision to respond. It's a powerful decision. It requires humility. It requires permission for people to speak into your life. If you look at the next few passages of Romans 13 and then the next passage in Romans 14, which we'll talk about next time, you will see that there's a higher law above all of it. And the higher law is love. Everybody write it down. Write it down. The higher law is love. God exercises his authority over you because he loves you and he, has, he wants the best for you. He, his authority is always good. His authority is always for your benefit. His authority comes out of deep love. And I don't think we can respond to his authority without real love. We can't really respond to others' authority without love. There has to be a way that we function in love and faith. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks. So put your stuff down, and I just want you to pray. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to bow your head, and we're just going to come to the Lord's table. And we've talked about a lot of stuff today, and, and it's a lot of material, and, and, and for some of you, it's like, oh, my head is just dizzying. Here's what I want you to see as you come to the Lord's table. Jesus himself, now get this, Jesus himself laid his life down. He was under his father's authority, but he willingly laid his life down and submitted to earthly authorities who then placed him on that cross. It is appropriate for us to go to this table, the table of Jesus, because he understands what it means to be mistreated. He understands what it means to submit to authorities who have been abusive or, or who've, who've taken advantage, and he knows what that's like today, and he, he wants to heal your heart in that regard. And he can heal your heart because he knows what it's all about. He's been through that. Jesus humbled himself. John 13 says that he had received all power and he understood that he was going back to God. And so he took a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. What he did with the power that God gave him was serve people. If you're, if you're a person who's in authority today, I want you to think about how you're treating the people who are under your authority and whether or not you're going to represent God well. Because you will be held accountable. I think we should come to this table and we should come with humility and we should come with God speaking to us and helping us understand all the blessings and all the protection and all the freedoms that are involved in submission. And the first person we must submit to is Him. So Jesus, we just come to you now and we, we thank you for the bread that represents your body that was broken for us. We thank you for the cup that represents your blood spilled for us, for our forgiveness. Father, we come here and we, and we let you have your way. Speak to us now.
Lead us, guide us. Do what only you can do in our lives. Show us how to live in authority and under your authority. In Jesus' name, amen.